four. Welcome back to the Literacy Advocate. My guest today is Eileen Winokur. Eileen is a retired educator, professional development specialist, former ISTE president, a blogger, and a podcaster. We're grateful to have Eileen on our show today. Today, we're talking about two topics, learner autonomy and some of dismantling toxic school cultures. So Eileen, you recently shared with me your perspective on dismantling toxic school cultures, including changing the philosophy behind how teachers talk to students, as well as your views on things dealing with enabling and hand-holding students. Can you kind of unpack those two concepts for our listeners? Sure. Uh, thank you, Shalanda. I'm really appreciative of being invited on the podcast today and talking about these very important topics. So in terms of the toxicity within the climate or culture of a school or even the classroom, but let's start with the bigger picture of the school. I think it's really important because uh, perhaps we've all had those experiences. I know I personally had those experiences in several different job positions. And it's really important for everybody in the building to feel supported. And so the problem with a toxic environment is that people start to take sides, people feel favored, and uh, there are some who feel that they're sort of being put aside. Uh, this makes it very difficult to work. It makes it difficult just to walk in the building every day. It's hard to look forward to working when you're not really sure how uh, either your administrator or your colleagues are going to react to the kinds of things that you're doing. So I'll give you an example. I was the principal of uh, an elementary principal of an all girls school. And one of my fifth grade teachers, we had three teachers at each grade level, and one of my fifth grade teachers who had been moved from eighth grade down to fifth grade was an extremely talented, experienced teacher who wanted to differentiate in her classroom. Now, mind you, our classrooms weren't very large, and, so, and our students, we usually had about 20 to 22 students in the classroom. But the rooms, it was an older building, and so the rooms weren't very large. And so when she wanted to form groups, she sometimes had a, a group of her students out in the hallway. And they were working in groups, and they were you know, using quiet voices. But I was forever getting complaints from the other teachers that those students were either in the way in the hallway, or they were being too loud. And uh, it took a while for me to be able to work through that. And I think part of it was that there were other teachers who were resentful of her being able to do things that were outside the box, things that the students really enjoyed. And they were learning at the same time. And her students did very well on their tests at the end of the year uh, when they went on to sixth grade. And it was very difficult to explain to them that she had the freedom to do that, 
they wanted her to go back into her classroom and do what they were doing, which was basically sitting in desks and standing at the front of the classroom and following the textbook. And so she, this was the reason why actually she ended up moving out of eighth grade down to the fifth grade because the superintendent came to me and said, the eighth grade doesn't understand how she teaches the team and the parents don't either. And so if we can't find a place for her with you, Eileen, then you know, we'll have to not renew her contract next year. And I said, oh my gosh, she's a prize. You should keep her. And she said, well, do you, you know, do you want her? Do you have an opening? And so that's when I put her in fifth grade. It took a long time for me to convince parents to actually have her in their classroom. I even had parents at the beginning of the year who wanted their child because they had heard about her in eighth grade from the other teachers and so that's why I say it's really important for us to work as a team. What I did was in order to, you know, because I understand if I'm a teacher who is not comfortable with that, if I was one of those other teachers and I didn't really understand what was going on, uh, perhaps the students got loud at times and I was always very, you know, careful to talk to the fifth grade teacher about the behavior of her students if they were going to be in the hallway. They knew that I went back to her and talked to her because everybody in the building needs to feel that they have somebody who's standing up for them. Absolutely. Whether, right. And whether or not I agreed with what they were observing or not, I needed to give them the benefit of the doubt that there was something that was making them uncomfortable. And then when we came together for meetings, we talked about what is our philosophy? What are the kinds of things we're moving toward? What is my vision? And what would I like to see? And how can we get there so that everybody feels comfortable with that vision? So can, and, I, can I say something here? Sure, yes. You just mentioned a very important point about part of that process of dismantling a toxic culture is having a clear vision and revisiting yes. your school's vision. I think that's very right. important, a very important part of the whole process. Right, yes, yes, and thank you for pointing that out. And, and the vision isn't just mine, you're right. If the vision is the school vision, the vision fits with the school vision, and my vision isn't my vision alone, the vision is the vision of the team. And I learned early on when I first became a principal is that I'm a workaholic and I have to be really careful how much I expect the teachers to be able to do within every school year. And so part of the problem at the beginning was I think I overwhelmed them. And they felt that they needed to be like that fifth grade teacher right away. And that was one of the things that really sort of upset the balance because the principal before me wasn't so tight about how everybody sort of needed to include their students in the learning. It was basically, you do what you're comfortable with and I'm, you know, it was sort of laissez-faire kind of thing. Uh, I was a bit more hands-on, although I, I'm not a micromanager. I, as a, an administrator, I always trusted my teachers unless there was a reason for me not to. 
Mm. Um, I always gave them the benefit of the doubt. So it took a while. I had to gain their trust. And it, uh, you know, gaining trust always takes time. And so it took a while for me to gain their trust that I was on their side, no matter how they were teaching. Uh, I think it surprised them because I don't think they often saw somebody who would really stand up for them, even if it differed from what the administrator felt needed to be done. And I'll tell you my first lesson for that was in my first teaching job. So the first year that I taught, I started at the school, it was brand new. I was the only third grade teacher because we had such a sc small school population. The second year we had two teachers, so two third grade uh, sections. The other teacher taught extremely differently from me. She was ex very open and free, and at least that from my viewpoint, I was, because I was new at teaching, I was very, you know, we need to do it this way, and it had to be very organized, and if I planned a plan, we needed to follow the plan. And I thought, you know, and so there was this sort of, a bit of tension between the two of us at that point, we each had an assistant in our classroom. We were, were very lucky for that. And it, the truth be told was that the assistants were trying to sort of calm things down. Not that we were enemies or anything like that, but we weren't really working very well together as colleagues. Mm -hmm. She thought that I was not teaching in the way that I should be teaching. And I thought I had doubts about her teaching. What happened was the following year, our students got mixed up in the fourth grade. And guess what? All of our students were doing really well. It didn't matter whether they came out of my class or her class, they were learning. Yep. And so it was an aha moment for me. Like I need to respect what other teachers are doing, even though it isn't my style. And I would tell teachers that that it's really important for you to have the confidence to know that I'm not going to walk into your classroom and tell you how to do things. And teachers really respect that. They really want to be able to have that freedom. And I think it's also important for teachers to realize because, so as a principal, I had teachers come to me and they would tell me, uh, Eileen, I, I have this student or these students and they're just so lazy. They, they really, you know, they don't do their homework. They're not, I've, I've tried everything with them. I've met with their parents. I've, you know, talked to them about it. And mind you, these are all language learners because the majority of them uh, are first language Arabic speakers. And so there was this sort of feeling that if they couldn't express themselves in English, that they didn't know the information, but sometimes it was that they were missing the vocabulary or needed a little bit more time because either they were still, especially at the elementary level, they were still translating right. um, rather than understanding straight away, or they needed it to be asked, the question to be asked in a different way. And so I started to find, not in all cases, but I started to find that Teachers were enabling their students by handholding. You know, we're, we're all, you know, teachers are, are all service providers. 
Uh, we love our students very much and we never want them to feel frustrated. So at the first sense that students are kind of struggling, we tend to step in. We either step in and say to them, uh, is, you know, we either go on to the next student for the answer, uh, we don't give them enough wait time, or we don't ask the question in a different way or repeat the question. Um, we don't ask the student, would you like some help? We just sort of go on. So what happens is the student begins to feel like he or she can't, is afraid to answer because they're afraid to be wrong, number one. And number two, maybe they can't explain themselves. So, you know, I would recommend for teachers to really make sure that they're taking the wait time, especially with language learners or students who have any kind of learning differences, to tiered questioning, which is not just the yes and no questions, but really rephrase and reframe a question that's been asked. Even when I started teaching intensive English at the pre-college level, I found that was very helpful. Students sometimes, you know, I would stand, stand with a student, I would say, remember we talked about this yesterday, remember this was in the lesson, think back to what you read, just read, what does that tell you? Giving them all these hints, it wasn't really until it was obvious they didn't know the answer and they were just really frustrated that I would say to them, would you like someone to help you or do you not understand? It's okay. You know, we'll go on and then we'll come back to it later. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I would tell students who didn't answer, I'm going to ask another question, but I want you to either look for the answer or think about the answer. And I'm going to come back to you after I go to a couple more students. Right. So that the ownership of the learning continues to be with the student. And the student knows that they have to be able to, to answer, but I'm going to support them. So and I talked to the students about that. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So would you say that part of um, dismantling that toxic culture is kind of... Um, improving teacher efficacy, teacher belief in what kids can do. Um, I've worked in, I'm now in my fourth school district and three of the four places, there seemed to be this culture of doubt in students' ability. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would hear a lot of these kids can't, these kids won't, these kids don't. And so what I'm hearing from you is the whole process of, of changing how we talk about students is mindset. It's a, a mindset shift that needs to be made. Yes. And in order to make that shift, we need to support our teachers with professional development on an ongoing basis. Because if teachers don't have an expansive toolkit in their, you know, in their belt, it's going to be very difficult. I mean, I could stand up here and talk about tiered questioning and, you know, being sure that students, you know, you're giving your students wait time and, and all of that kinds of thing. But if I don't have the tools to redirect or figure out how to 
get the information or give students the confidence that they have the self-efficacy piece. And so I think part of the self-efficacy is teacher self-efficacy also. Because, you know, we talk about the imposter syndrome when teachers look at others and say, oh, they're, they're doing all that ed tech and, and they, know, they have all those tools and they're able to, you know, and it's like, they started out just the way you did. Right. And, but they need that ongoing support. I, I love the fact that schools are now hiring coaches, ed tech coaches, literacy coaches, and so forth, which is something that we never used to have. And those are ongoing supports. And I know those people are stretched kind of thin and it would be great to have more people on campus, but at least they're there. And the idea is teachers do need support on a regular basis. They need to have somebody to go to, to ask a question. They truthfully, they need to have time to be able to ask each other questions because there's so much that we can learn from each other. I have learned, I mean, just that tidbit I gave you about the other third grade teacher, how much I learned from her when I realized her students were learning, I started observing her. What are the things that she's doing that maybe I could make my class more fun and not so serious? Because I was always really serious. <laughs> Me too. Um, so it's, 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 I'm glad you asked that because it's really important for us to remember that, yes, we need to give students the benefit of the doubt before, and, you know, there are some students who don't want to do the work, who, who are, are, but they're few and far between. I found with a little bit of guidance and a little bit of push and the feeling, just having a conversation with the student saying, you know, what's going on? Why don't you feel like you're able to cope with this topic or subject or what is it that's bothering you and uh, you know depending on how old or young they are sometimes they need a little bit more prompting or you know sort of without suggesting to them what the problem is because I found also students wait for you to tell them something yes. that's wrong <laughs> and then they sort of echo it so we have to be really careful that way also but these are also things that we need to make sure that our teachers understand, and we need to model that for them. So professional development sessions that show how we cope in the classroom with students who aren't working, who aren't uh, reaching the level that we expect from them. Because, you know, we, we get to know our students really well. So if a student isn't, I don't like to say the word performing, but if the student isn't doing as well as we think they should, then we definitely should sit down with that student and say, you know, what is it that's not happening here that you either need or that I'm not doing or that we need to do together? Just those couple of words will give that student so much confidence because you care. Absolutely. And when, when I bring it back to the topic of dismantling toxic cultures, the, the key point that you've expressed here is building relationships because students yes. as well as teachers when they know that you care, you, you get so much more from people when they know yes. that you care. And it takes a lot yes. of time to establish that trust and build that relationship, but it's totally worth it in the long term to really focus heavy, heavy, heavy attention on building relationships. Absolutely, yes. And it, it goes for, admin to teacher, teacher to admin, 
teacher to teacher, teacher to student, and student to teacher. You're absolutely right, Shalanda. Those relationships are what will carry a school to the different to the to a different level. You know, you if you make those relationships, establish those relationships, you can walk into a school, and you can tell the climate of that school by the way people are interacting with each other. Yes, the way they interact with each other and the way they interact with people who come into the building. I notice things yes. like who greets people when they come in. When I come into a mm -hmm. building, am I welcomed warmly or am I just pointed in a direction of, or oh, the office is over there without a good yes. morning? Oh, hi, how are you? Um, those are all indicators that show what the climate of the school are. You're absolutely right, Chalanda. Yes, it's really, really important. And I usually forget to say the word relationships because I get so caught up with the nitty gritty. That's just the way I am. But it really does boil down to relationships and the whole idea of trust, feeling safe. So students feeling safe in the classroom to be able to, to speak out and, and actually express their feelings, being given that opportunity. Same thing with teachers at meetings and being able to feel comfortable with uh, saying what they need, asking for what they need. Um, and so that happens when the climate uh, is, is one that feels safe and everybody feels they're, they're um, playing a specific part or specific role within the context of that culture or climate in the, in the school. And, that, and my belief is that those are the places where teachers thrive and leaders are born and places where students thrive and exceed any and all expectations that are set before them. You're absolutely right. Yes. Well, yes, I thank do. you. Thank you. Thank you so much, my friend, for those jewels that you share with us. Um, I have lots of notes that I'm actually just typing away on my phone um, to take back <laughs> into my own practice. Um, so thank you so much. Um, all the way from Kuwait, you've given our listeners so much that they can take in and put immediately into their practice, whether it's admin, teachers, or anything in between. So thank you so much, Eileen. You have a great day. You too. Thank you, Shalanda, for inviting me on today. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.